You're listening to Hidden History, and I'm your host, Ellis Tucci. If you know any way that we can improve our content for you, the listener, drop us a line at hiddenhistory.show forward slash contact. To catch up on all our past episodes and hear new ones every Wednesday, head on over to your Apple Podcasts app or hiddenhistory.show and learn something new today. The circus has been an element of Western culture for just over 250 years. 251, to be precise. The modern incarnation of the circus can be traced back to the English equestrian Philip Astley, who in 1768 began to put on shows that allowed him to demonstrate his equestrian skills. Two years later, he would add more acts, including tightrope walkers, acrobats, and the first modern circus clowns. Now, there have certainly been events referred to as circuses that date back to before 1768, but outside of their similarity as a spectacle, they bear little resemblance to what we today consider to be a circus. Over the years, Astley incrementally expanded and improved his show, and his format would generally maintain its dominance in the circus world up until the 1970s, when the contemporary circus movement emerged, which focused more on visual impact and storytelling. But this isn't going to be an episode on the history of the circus. I was a little pressed for time this week, so I decided to make this week's episode about one incredibly important aspect of the circus. It's music. This is Hidden History, and you're listening to episode 31. Entrance of the gladiators. You're undoubtedly familiar with the music of the circus. In fact, it's playing behind my voice right now. This is Julius Fusick's Entrance of the Gladiators, but you've most likely only heard a small portion of it. Entrance of the Gladiators is among the most famous of a subgenre of marching music referred to as screamers which are characterized by their upbeat tempos falling in the range of 130 to 150 BPM, their melodic layering, and the need for complicated double and triple tonguing techniques, methods for punctuating and altering notes using the tongue. Most of the screamers were composed between 1895 and 1955, with those older ones maintaining their popularity and cultural relevance far into the future. Now, you could compose a march specifically as a screamer, and many did, but you could also simply take a pre-existing march, play it up-tempo, and voila, you have a screamer. But it's important to note that not all music played at the big top were screamer marches, but they did all serve to excite and energize the crowd. There were also two steps, which were relatively simple pieces, and there were cakewalks, which is both a form of music and a dance. The dance has roots in the prize walks of the enslaved South, which were used as a platform to covertly mock their slave masters. Eventually, the cakewalk dance was adopted by a white public that was unaware of its historical influences, 
it would become heavily associated with racial stereotypes, eventually becoming what's known as a grotesque dance, or a dance that's comedic or buffoonish. The cakewalk as a musical genre is far more complex than the untrained observer might think. It's written in a 2-4 meter, giving it a great oompa beat. It makes fantastic use of polyrhythmic crossbeat, or two overlapping and non-similar rhythms. Syncopation, or playing of offbeat notes, and hambone rhythm, a two-pulse rhythmic cell that has direct ties to the music of sub-Saharan Africa. The musical elements of the cakewalk would go on to influence composers like John Philip Sousa and James B. Johnson, a pianist who popularized a genre of jazz known as stride, and wrote the Charleston, which defined the music of the jazz age. But let's get back to the circus. So those are the three genres of music that circus bands drew from, and out of the three, screamers were the most popular. The typical one lasted between one and three minutes, but one thing I found interesting during the research for this episode was that there was one march they wouldn't play unless they absolutely had to. John Philip Sousa's Stars and Stripes Forever, which would only be played in case of emergency in order to signify that something was wrong, be it an escaped animal, a fire, or something else. Fire was a huge and dangerous issue at the circus. A quick side note to convey the seriousness of that danger. On June 6, 1944, the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey Circus Big Top Tent, which had been waterproofed with 1,800 pounds of paraffin wax dissolved in 6,000 gallons of gasoline, caught fire in the middle of a show packed with 7,000 attendees. The band was instructed to play Stars and Stripes Forever, but the method of waterproofing meant that the flames spread incredibly quickly, raining boiling wax down on the audience below. Either 167 or 169 people were killed, and over 700 were injured. So, yeah, the circus could be a dangerous place. But, yet again, I've gotten on a bit of a tangent. So, to wrap up this week's episode, I want to talk a little bit about the history of Entrance of the Gladiators. It was composed in 1897, and due to its heavy use of chromatic scales, it was originally titled the Grande Marche Chromatique, but thanks to Fusick's fascination with the Roman Empire, he retitled it to reflect the march of the mighty gladiators into the Colosseum, prepared to fight to the death. It is, of course, not written from the viewpoint of the gladiators, who might have been a bit more apprehensive, but rather from the perspective of the cheering crowds, excited to see a tournament of blood sport. In 1901, publisher Carl Fisher reissued a version arranged for wind instruments under the title Thunder and Blazes, at which point it became popular as a circus screamer. And so it was that the piece that was meant to regale gladiators as they entered the ring ended up welcoming the clowns. So much time has passed with its current association that we are completely ignorant of the original historical context for the piece, to the point where it might even feel unnatural if played as Fusick originally intended it. So, to end this week's episode, I want to play you something else. <laughs> 
This is Something Doing, A Cakewalk March by Scott Joplin. This is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History, signing off. <laughs>